Heavenly Father, we just ask you to bless Kendra. Pour out your Holy Spirit on her as she gives your word. And uh, give her the, just work through her, flow through her, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Paul. Hmm. I think I need a bigger table. I think I'll, oh, I think I'm okay. I'll just try not to knock my props off. Uh, it's been a little while since I've been back in Impact, and I needed to bring a few things out here with me. So, um, this morning we are starting a brand new series. So we, the last four weeks have been uh, a great time of learning um, and receiving from the international leaders, the various international leaders that were here throughout the month of October. And um, this morning we're going to shift into a, a book study, really, of the book of Ephesians. And that's going to take us pretty much up till Christmas, which is a little bit crazy to think about. When Paul announced adoptive moms starting a meeting on November 1st, and I realized that's this Tuesday, I had a little moment <laughs> realizing November's almost here. Um, so the book of Ephesians is a very rich book, and I want to encourage you to be reading through it on your own as we go through this study together. Um, this week, you didn't have uh, a heads up, so this week we'll read through Ephesians chapter 1 together. But in preparation for next week, I want to encourage you to take a look at chapter 2 and begin um, allowing God's Word to prepare your heart and to prepare your mind for studying chapter 2 together next week. Um, Ephesians is a really awesome book. It's a book that was written as a letter to the church in Ephesus. This, one of the really cool things about the book of Ephesians is that Paul wasn't writing it um, out of a need to like, address false teachings or um, like a character issue in the church. He was writing it as an encouragement to this church. He was writing this to encourage the followers of Jesus to keep on living out what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in unity together as a body of believers. At that time, the city of Ephesus was, um, had one of the greatest harbors in Asia. They were a, a major trade center. They were at the end of the Silk Road that came out of China, and so they had an extensive marketplace, and they, had, um, they actually had the largest slave market in the time. And so like, you can keep that in mind when you get to chapter 5 and you read about how Paul is addressing the slaves that were among the church. The city had a remarkable library. They had a huge amphitheater that seated over 10,000 people. They had a sports arena. And it was also an epicenter for the worship of gods and goddesses, the Roman and Greek gods and goddesses, and especially the goddess Artemis. So Paul is writing this letter to everyday people like you and I who are facing very similar situations to what we face. He had lived there for more than two years and had helped to establish a growing church 
in that spiritually charged environment. In fact, when you read Acts chapter 19, um, we see that there were so many people that were starting to follow the ways of Jesus in that place that the um, craftsmen were concerned because their business was declining. The craftsmen who made shrines and other items that were used to worship the goddess Artemis noticed a difference in their sales because that many people were following the ways of Jesus. The first few chapters of Ephesians are focused upon God the Father and what he has done for us through Christ. Chapter 1 is what we're going to focus on today. Chapter 1 begins kind of actually as a Jewish-style poetry, um, and it's just reminding, Paul was reminding all believers, not just then, but also for us now, that from eternity past, the Father determined to choose and bless a covenant people. Before the time of Jesus, the covenant that he had was with the family of Abraham. And after Jesus came, now through Jesus, we all have the opportunity to be adopted into his family. In Jesus, we receive forgiveness and grace. His purpose, the purpose of Jesus, is to unify all things under heaven and earth. All things in heaven and earth under Christ. His plan has always been to have a huge family of restored people who are unified under him. He brings us into one family. So I'd like to start with reading the first section of chapter 1 in Ephesians. Feel free to look it up in your Bibles or follow along on the screen. But as we're going through, I'd like to call your attention to the places in these verses where it says, in Christ or through Christ. starting with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth. We thank you that your word washes our minds and cleanses us. And we invite your spirit to teach us from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. There were a lot of words in there. It was very Paul-like. He loves run-on sentences. You know, you just add a comma and keep on going. So let's try to break it down a little bit. Uh, I'd like to just kind of briefly go through seven things that, that are pulled out here that we have in Christ. And we're not going to have time to really elaborate on all seven because like each one could be a sermon. And I'm not going to keep you here all day. I know there's games to watch and things to do. So, in Christ, number one, in Christ, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing. A few weeks ago, Pastor Mark reminded us that God our Father has positioned us to be a blessing. We receive blessings from the Father that we pass along to others. The reality is when we hear those teachings, we almost automatically think first of natural, physical blessings. And I'm not discounting that because I do believe that God is our provider and he's our provision and he is the God who is more than enough. But the reality is it's, it's more than just the temporal things. He blesses us with spiritual blessings. What do those spiritual blessings look like? It looks like mercy. It looks like forgiveness. It looks like restoration in relationship. It looks like freedom from sin. Those are the kinds of blessings that we are blessed with in Christ. The Father blesses us with every spiritual blessing. He blesses us with joy and strength. Number two, we are chosen to be holy and blameless. Through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, we have been made holy and blameless. We have been purified. We have been cleansed from sin. That's our standing with God the Father through Jesus. And we're going to focus a lot more on that one a little bit later this morning. So I'm going to keep on going. The third thing that is mentioned that we have in Christ is we are adopted into his family. In, out of love, out of God's, out of the Father's heart of love, he marked out before he even created us, he marked out the plan to have a way to adopt us back into his family. He knew every one of us would sin. He knew every human would sin. He knew how he was creating us, and he knew that we all fall short of his glory. But before he even created the first man, he had a plan for how he would adopt us all back into his family. 
and it was pleasing to him. The, this verse says that it is according to his will, and it is pleasing. You know, we can tell a difference if someone really wants to give us something, or if they really they want it, they want to keep it themselves, but they feel obligated to give it. This wasn't God feeling obligated to buy us back. It was pleasing to him. It's his will that we become a part of his family. It, is his, it gives him pleasure to adopt us into his family. Another thing we have in Christ Jesus is that we are lavished freely with his grace. Now, sometimes we use big words, right? Christian words, and we want to make sure we understand what these words mean. What does it mean to be lavished with his grace? Well, grace is when we get something that we didn't earn. Grace is his unearned kindness and love and favor. And it says here that this unearned kindness of God has been given to us lavishly. Not just a little drip. But he pours it out. He pours out his kindness, his love upon us. That is his grace. And we see that through salvation, and we also see that in our daily lives. He gives us, it's his grace that gives us the strength to make it through the day. He lavishes his grace upon us. Another thing that we see that we have in Christ is we have redemption. We are redeemed and forgiven. In Christ, we are redeemed and we are forgiven. Now, what does the word redeemed mean? Redeemed is when someone pays your debt. So like if a slave, okay, he's talking to the church in Ephesus. It was the, the, the center of slavery. I mean, they had a huge slave market, okay? They would have understood this term. When you were buying the freedom for a slave, you redeemed them. You know, maybe Maddie would go to the slave market and instead of buying a slave to be her slave, she would pay the price for that slave to become free. That's what Jesus did for us. He paid our debt. He paid our sin debt. There's no way I could pay off my sin debt on my own. Because it's not based, the payment for sin is not good works. The payment for sin is not just work harder, you know, pull up those bootstraps and get it done. In our culture around here, we have kind of that mindset for a lot of things in life, right? You just work a little harder. You just get it done. There's nothing I could do. There's nothing any of us could do to pay off our sin debt. Because the requirement for sin was a perfect sacrifice. And I'm not perfect. So in Christ, we have that redemption. 
Jesus redeemed us. He paid our sin debt. He forgave our sins. He made it possible for us to be adopted into the family of God. He made it possible for us to be holy and blameless. We were all slaves to sin, and he paid the debt for us so that our names are cleared and can be written in the book of life. Another thing that we have in Christ is we are chosen to bring him glory. We are chosen to bring him glory. One of the things that's so interesting, and we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but we, in a lot of these things that we read in Scripture, we have, we have two things that kind of seem like a paradox, right? Okay, so we've been chosen to bring him glory. Our lives are not our own. Because he bought us back. And now our lives, we're not slaves to him, but he is, he, it is his desire that we represent him. It is his desire that we make him known. When we're chosen to bring him glory, it is his glory, it is for his renown. It is so he can be made known, so that he can be glorified. That's why we're chosen. Through our holiness, our obedience, our fruitfulness, we magnify his glory. I should have brought my magnifying glass. We magnify his glory. Our assignment on earth is actually pretty simple and yet very difficult, right? Because we're dealing with our sinful nature and we're learning what it means to follow the ways of Jesus. But our assignment is to make him known to magnify who he is, to represent him to the people around us. And some people, for some people, we need to represent him because their view of him is cloudy. We have a simple assignment, and it's not about us. It's about him. The final thing that we see here in this section of verses that we have in Christ is that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. It teaches us here that the Holy Spirit is given to us as a deposit. It guarantees our inheritance. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, and we, by faith, we accept him as our Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is given to us as a deposit of, of inheritance. And what is that inheritance? It's that spiritual inheritance that, that, that God will fulfill his promise to complete our salvation. That we will not experience spiritual death, but we will walk in the complete and final salvation from sin and experience spiritual life even after our bodies, our fleshly bodies die. That's our inheritance and the Holy Spirit is given to us to seal that, to seal that inheritance. And when something in, the, in that period of time, when something was sealed, it was a mark of authority. We don't really seal things today, right? I mean, maybe you lick your envelope. It's not quite the same thing. 
I have a brother-in-law, actually, who loves to do wax seals. So when he sends special cards or something like that in the mail, it'll often have a wax seal on it. And it makes me chuckle because like, that's how it used to be all the time, right? Because that seal was the mark that, first of all, was unopened, so it was private. It was sent directly to you, and it was also a mark of authority. And the Holy Spirit is that seal upon us. It's God's authority. We are sealed with his authority. And that, dep- that inheritance will be ours. All right. That's the first half of the chapter. I, I would like to finish out reading the rest of Ephesians chapter 1. Um, Paul goes through this whole list of things that we have through Christ, and then he transitions into a prayer. And this, this prayer is powerful. This prayer is, if you don't know what to pray for somebody, just, just pray Paul's prayers. This is a really good place to start. So let's um, finish out reading the rest of chapter 1, 15 through 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. There's a couple key points that Paul was praying for this church. One, he prayed for them to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? Why did he pray that? I pray that you have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He prayed that so that they would know the Father better. Paul knows that when we have a personal knowledge of God, our lives will be changed. Some of us may have grown up always knowing about Jesus. Some of us may have only learned to know about him in recent years. Either way, there's something that happens when we shift from knowing about him to knowing him. To having that relationship with him. Paul's prayer here was for people who already had chosen to follow Jesus. They were already walking in the ways of Jesus. And he prayed that they would know the Lord even more. I'm going to pull out an old example. Some of you in this section might actually remember this example. I don't know if you do. We could spend a lifetime learning to know God. He is so much bigger than our brains understand. 
He has been since before time began. And he will continue to be. When you read throughout scripture, there are many different names that are given for Yahweh, for God. And each name gives us another little picture of who he is. A little bit more of his personality. So when you think of a diamond, what makes a diamond really beautiful is all of the different edges, right? All of the different sides. And when the light reflects through them or on them, it, it makes it very beautiful, but also it's just kind of, this one's not really reflecting because it's not a real diamond. But there's, there's so many different angles that the light can hit it. And, and highlight on the diamond, right? So we, we might know some of these things. God is my savior. God is my redeemer. God is my provider. God is my provision. God is my healer. God is the way, the truth, the life. God is my shepherd. God is my father. There's so many different things. And at different points in our lives, as, as our relationship with him grows, we see these different things highlighted, right? He's my comfort. He's my shield. He's the rock, the solid rock that I build my life upon. So as we go through different seasons in our lives, as we walk through different life experiences, we, there's these different aspects of who God is that are like highlighted and strengthened in our understanding. But knowing God the Father is a lifelong journey. And Paul's prayer here is that the church would be filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation so they can know the Father better. And he goes on to pray for their spiritual eyes to be enlightened. Why? So that they can know the hope of his calling. Hope is not just a vague feeling, but it's a complete assurance of who God is, what he has promised, and the salvation that he has brought and is bringing to us. He prays for their spiritual eyes to be enlightened so they can know the riches of his inheritance. And so they can know the surpassing greatness of his power toward those who believe. And then he goes on to say that this power, he, he wants the church to know the greatness, the surpassing greatness of God's power. And then he says, it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, for those of you who have grown up in the church, we have, you know, perhaps you have heard this for a really long time, like ever since you were a little kid. God raised Jesus from the dead. And, and we can sometimes, like, I think, get a disconnect. Do you guys realize, like, I can't raise my, I can't, I can't even, like, heal my own body, right? If I'm sick, I can't raise myself. Jesus' body, his physical body was bruised and beaten and ripped apart, and it's not just his physical body that God raised up from the dead, but his spirit. He, he had to die and deal with sin and death, and God raised him up. That, that same power 
that raised Jesus up from death, spiritual death and physical death, is at work in and through us. Do we realize that? I know I don't. I, I, I don't like wake up every morning and be like, oh yeah, power of God is in me. Like we just, you know, we don't, we don't always realize those things. We don't always remember those blessings, those spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. It goes along with the song that, that we sang this morning. I have the authority Jesus has given me. So not only does it, is it the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, but it goes on to say that that same power also seated Jesus in the heavenly realms far above all other powers, all other authorities, all other spiritual authorities. Jesus has the ultimate authority over all spiritual dominions and and demons and all other authorities, and he has the spiritual authority over every name. Sometimes we've, we've got names in this world today that are powerful. Well, they, their names aren't powerful, but the people are in positions of power. Jesus is greater. He has authority over them. He has the greatest authority. And the amazing thing is, he gives us the authority through his name. And we, we need to use it wisely and carefully. But he gives us authority through his name. That's powerful. So then Paul concludes this section of verses with this truth. Christ is the head over the church, his body. And later on this month, when we shift to the second half of Ephesians, he goes into a whole, like three whole chapters of what it looks like to be his people, his church, his body. So that's an overview. And God's word is powerful. And my, my desire this morning, my prayer is that his truth will continue to wash and cleanse our minds, our thoughts, and strengthen us in our inner being. But I do want to give a couple practical handles. So we're going to take the, um, a, just a bit of time. I will try to cut some things out of my notes. Um, I'd like to take a bit of time to look at verse 4 closer. Verse 4 says, The Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. We've been chosen to be holy and blameless in his sight. To be holy means to be separated from sin, to be morally blameless, to be consecrated or devoted to God. In the Old Testament, they had special things that they used in the tabernacle and in the temple that were holy. They were set aside just to be a part of, of worshiping God. We don't have maybe the same thing today, but think about some, maybe when you, um, you go to a family dinner, like a really special family dinner at Christmas or something like that. There might be special 
dishes or special things that are used just for those special occasions. Think of a wedding dress. You don't just wear a wedding dress every day. A wedding dress is what the bride will wear on a special day. It's set apart to that special day. We've been called to be set apart for something special, for something that's consecrated. We are set apart for the purpose of being devoted to God. And it says we are also blameless. We are innocent of wrongdoing. To be blameless is to be innocent of wrongdoing and without guilt. So we've been chosen to be holy and blameless, to be innocent and without sin. And yet we all know that we all fall short of that. So what is Paul saying? There are two aspects to this holy and blameless thing. This afternoon, there's going to be a coin tossed, right, in the same game, but two teams. One side represents one team. The other side represents the other team. It's the same coin, and it's used in the same game. When we talk about being holy and blameless, it's like two sides of the same coin. The one side is that Jesus makes us holy and blameless. But the other side is that we are called to be holy and blameless. So, first of all, Jesus does the work of making us holy and blameless. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 says, Jesus gave himself up as a sacrifice so that he could cleanse and sanctify us, making us holy and blameless. Colossians 1.22 says, Christ reconciled us through his death so he can present us to the Father as holy and blameless and free from accusation. In Jude 24, we see Jesus is able to keep us from stumbling so we can stand blameless in his presence. Jesus made the way for us to be in right standing with God. We've been made holy through Jesus, through his sacrifice, and that is our standing before God the Father. That's one side of the coin. But the other side of the coin is that we are called to be holy in everything that we do. In 1 Peter 1, I'd like to read these verses together. 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 16. And I want you to look for the verbs. You guys know what a verb is, right? The action word. Okay, you got it. The action word. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. Prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, be holy because I am holy. The reality is that we do have a personal responsibility for our walk of holiness. Living a holy life is, living, is the opposite to living according to our own selfish desires. Living a holy life is living in contrast to the sinful ways of the world. Living a holy life is living in alignment with God and his standard and his teachings. It's living a holy life is living in conformity with his 
moral precepts. Living a holy life is upholding a pattern of daily life that sets you apart as a believer. Perhaps there are times when you're interacting with people or you're out and about and a, a complete stranger will say, pull you aside and say, you know, I just, I just noticed that you're full of joy and just, you know, thank you for smiling. Thank you for being joyful. Or they might say, you know, I, I noticed as you, your family was having dinner together that, that you were enjoying being together and, and laughing and talking and, and being kind to each other or Perhaps you, you know, as you're doing your daily work at your job or in the grocery store or wherever you are, someone will point out something that they see about you, a complete stranger. That's part of what it's, what sets us apart is the way that we do life. And, so, and there will be strangers, there will be people in, that you don't really know who will notice it. And some of them will say something, which is encouraging, right? Everywhere we go, we have the opportunity to live for God's glory, to live and walk out a holy life, a blameless life, for him. But there's also times when the way we live looks more like we're conforming to patterns of the world. And I'd like to just consider a few of those, a, a reason that we sometimes conform more to the patterns of the world than to the teachings of Jesus. Perhaps our attitude towards sin is more self-centered than God-centered. Isn't that funny? Sometimes even in our sin, we're selfish. Sometimes, always, right? But what can happen sometimes is we might feel more guilt about getting caught for something than actually feeling the grief of sinning against God. We might focus more about how sin affects us or the consequences of getting caught affect us than what it actually does in our relation, how it actually affects our relationship with God. So sometimes our attitude towards sin is, is still very much about ourselves. Sometimes we don't take sin seriously or some sins just aren't, you know, as bad. We categorize sin. And when we do that, we set up our own justification. So we can easily justify our compromise when we categorize sin. The reality is every time we sin, we're doing something that God hates. He doesn't hate us. But the sin is what he hates because he knows the brokenness and destruction that it can bring in our lives. See, he's not a tight-fisted father demanding us to obey his ways or else. His, his standard is for our own good. He's created us. He knows 
what's going to bring life and freedom. And it is his desire for us to walk in that. And so he gives us the standard because he knows that when we live according to his standard and we live in alignment with his ways, we will have abundant life. We will walk in freedom. We will be able to reflect his glory. And sometimes also, we might misunderstand that living by faith means we don't have to put any effort in. We might think that if we live by faith, no effort towards holiness is required. And we do have to be careful of this, right? It's that coin that has two sides. We have a free gift, but we also have these um, instructions of how to live. And so it's God's part and our part together. 2 Peter 3.14 uses terminology like this. Make every effort to be found spotless. Be diligent to be found without spot, spot or blemish. Act fervently to accomplish all that God has assigned. It takes effort on our parts to live out the holy life that God is calling us to. Hebrews 10, 10 and 14 show both sides of this. Again, verse 10, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Verse 14, by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So while it's true that the Father accepts us solely on the merit on, through what Jesus did on the cross, his standard for our character, our attitudes, our affections and actions is be holy because I am holy. So what does that look like practically? Because this is all still kind of heady. What does it look like practically to be holy as God is holy what does it look like to make every effort to be holy? There's four things I would like to suggest. One is to cultivate the attitude that sin is displeasing to God. I know that I personally don't always have the same perspective as God does. And the Bible teaches us that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And his ways are not our ways. And I think we need to remember that God's been God for a really long time. And while we might like to rearrange how God does things, really, who am I to tell God how to do things? He's God. And he's holy. He's also merciful and just and patient and kind. And the God of second chances and third and fourth and fifth, right? He's forgiving, but he is holy. And it's important for us to begin to look at sin the way God does. It's, and it's a fence toward a holy God. 
it's time for us to take personal responsibility. At the same time, recognizing that God's grace is there every time we fall. And his grace is there to pick us up and to give us strength and to help us keep on going. Because he's good. Another practical thing that we can do in this make every effort to be holy is to expose ourselves to the word of God. And I'm using that word because, you know, we can, we get so caught up and we know what we need to do. You know, I mean, you even ask the kids back in impact, what do we need to do to grow in our relationship with God? And they can tell you, we need to pray. We need to read the Bible. We need to worship, okay? Let's expose ourselves to the word of God. What does that look like? Well, maybe it means listening to it. Maybe you don't enjoy reading. Maybe reading is a challenge or it doesn't keep your interest. Listen to it. We have the opportunity in this day and age to pick up a phone and open an app and listen to the word of God. Expose ourselves to God's word. Maybe it's doing a, a reading plan of some kind. Maybe it's, you know what? I need some accountability. So you find a friend who's going to read through the same things that you're reading through. Each day, you read a chapter together. You text something back and forth. I'm giving this example because I know this example is happening in this place. And I think it's a really, really cool way of being able to walk together with people. So you read a chapter. You just text a, a short, this is what stood out to me. This is what I learned, or this is my question. And it keeps you accountable, and you're in the Word, and you're exposing yourself to the Word, and you're processing it and thinking about it together. Maybe it's memorizing God's Word. Some of you are good at memorizing. Memorize His Word. Because when you're in those moments of difficulty and temptation, His Spirit will bring His Word back to you. God's word must be so strongly fixed in our minds that it becomes the dominant influence of our thoughts, our attitudes, and our actions. That's a quote by Jerry Bridges. But that's when God's word is so dominant in our minds, it affects everything that we do. When his word is the dominant influence of our lives, we will see the fruit of that around us and lived out in our lives. Another aspect of exposing ourselves to the word of God is to develop convictions based upon his word. What does God's word say about this particular situation? And maybe there's not an exact example, but what are the principles of God's word? And some questions that you can ask yourself when you're developing convictions based upon God's word are, is it helpful? Is what I'm doing helpful spiritually, physically, mentally? Does it bring me under its power in a negative way? Does it hurt others? Does it glorify God? Those are the kinds of questions we can ask when we're saying, okay, I've got this thing in my life and I don't know what to do with it. I don't know what decision to make. What does God's word say about it? Well, guess what? Phones aren't in the Bible, are they? But no tablets aren't either. Oh, clay tablets. <laughs> gotcha. 
And they can't be changed and manipulated either. But there are verses that talk about what we look at. There are verses that talk about what we fill our minds with, what we think about. There are verses that talk about how we live our lives, how we spend our time. And so you look at those principles and then you hold, that, you hold your modern thing up to those principles that have been set in time for thousands of years that are still truth. And then you build your convictions upon that. Another way of exposing ourselves to the word of God is to develop a commitment to Jesus as a way of life. Am I willing to give up blank that is keeping me from living a holy life? For some of you, for some of us, we can sit and watch a game on TV and it's okay. It doesn't cause us to it doesn't have power over us. It doesn't cause us to do anything that is not good, right? But for others of us, we really have to watch ourselves when we sit and watch a game. <laughs> Some of you were watching a game with me in my basement last night, right? Am I willing to give up blank a certain habit or action that is keeping me from living a holy life. Two more things, really quickly. One, another aspect of making every effort to be holy is to learn to live by the Spirit. To learn to, to depend upon the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's been given to us as a deposit. We have the power of God within us. So let's live like that. Let's walk in with him. Let's keep in step with the spirit of God. Galatians 5.16 says, I say walk habitually in the Holy Spirit. Seek him and be responsive to his guidance. And then you will certainly not carry out the desires of the sinful nature, which responds impulsively without regard for God and his precepts. Learn to live and walk by the Spirit. Seek him and then be responsive to the guidance that he gives. He will reveal the areas that we need to change. He will create within us a desire for holiness, a desire to live in alignment with God's word. He will give us the strength to obey. He empowers us to do what he asks us to do. And finally, spend time with the Father. Learn to know his nature and character. Learn to know another part, another aspect of who God is. Spend time with him. When we get a glimpse of the Father's mercy and grace and love for us, we will desire to walk in obedience and holiness. And that's my prayer for all of us. When we have a, a bigger revelation and understanding of God's love, and mercy and grace for us, 
man, we, we're going to want to do what pleases him. We're going to want to obey him. We're going to want to live in holiness. Because, guys, our brains just understand a tiny little bit of his lavish grace and love and mercy. So my prayer for each of you this morning is that your spiritual eyes will be opened. That the Father will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can know God better. So that you can have a deeper understanding of his love for you, his mercy, his his grace, his power. Because when we, when we have a better understanding of him, we have a greater desire to obey. Sometimes we have to obey without the feelings. And I'm not just talking about the feelings. We, you know, sometimes we have to make every effort. It takes work. But there's also something amazing that happens when we spend time with him and we ask him to show us more of who he is. We ask him to give us the strength and the, and the power to walk in his ways. There's freedom that comes in that. I want to invite the worship team and the prayer team to come. We looked at two sides of a coin today. Jesus has made us holy and blameless. And that is a gift that we receive by faith. But he also calls us to make every effort to be holy and blameless, to live a holy and blameless life. And this morning, as we stand for worship, I just want to encourage you. If there's an area of your life where you want someone to stand with you in prayer, the prayer team is here. They've been praying all week. Their gift to us as a church is to stand with us and pray. If there's an area where you feel weak and you just need someone to stand with you, you need someone to agree with you in prayer, that the God, the God's power is at work in you. I invite you to come. If you need healing, physical healing, spiritual healing, you need to be made right with God. You need emotional healing. And you want someone to stand with you, I invite you to come for prayer. But as we stand for worship this morning, I just invite you to stand. I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you as well. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are merciful and full of grace. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for your power that is at work in us. And we just ask again this morning that you would open the eyes of our hearts. 
Open the eyes of our hearts to see you in a greater way. Open the eyes of our hearts to experience your hope, the riches of your inheritance, your great power, and your unending and unconditional love and mercy and grace. Give us a desire to know you more. To be exposed to your word. To make the effort that it takes to learn how to live in your ways. We thank you for your goodness in this place today. Thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for teaching us through your word. Thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.